Hi, this is Greg Kilstrom. Welcome to season three of the Agile World, where we discuss customer and employee experience, organizational and workforce transformation, and how business can adapt and continually improve in an Agile age. The Agile World podcast is brought to you by Tech Systems, an industry leader in full stack technology services, talent services, and real world application. For more information, go to techsystems.com. To read more about the topics discussed in this show, you can go to my website at theagile.world and read my latest articles or get a copy of my latest book, The Agile Workforce, now available on Amazon and other retailers. My name is Greg Kilstrom, and I'm the host of the Agile World podcast. Even though many organizations have embraced Agile methods in their technology and other areas, they're still researching, trying, and buying using older, often outdated means. Today, we're going to talk about evaluating software using more Agile practices. To help me discuss this topic, I'd like to welcome Phil Strazula, founder of Select Software Reviews. Phil, welcome to the show. Thanks a lot for having me. So why don't you start by giving a little background on your career, kind of what got you here, as well as what you do at Select Software Reviews. Sure. So I started my career off in venture capital, doing early stage software investing into SaaS and consumer internet companies. I always wanted to start a company. And so I went to business school and taught myself how to program while I was there. I started hacking on a bunch of different projects, one of which turned into an HR software business that about two and a half years ago, I hired somebody to run as a general manager, taking myself out of the day to day. And so I had all this uh, free time for the first time in a long time. I still had the desire to start another company. And I personally love to learn. I love to teach what I've learned and saw this gap in the market where a lot of HR teams were really struggling with what technologies they should be purchasing because there are so many (laughs) different technologies for something as boring as payroll to something maybe a little bit more interesting, like using artificial intelligence to hire engineering talent. And so I started Select Software Reviews and basically what we do is spend a ton of time understanding the HR tech landscape. We write up our findings into what we think are tactical, uh, unbiased content on our site. And it's totally free. We make our money through advertising with different vendors. And so we don't charge a subscription or anything like that. We also have a community. If you've got like a super bespoke question, we get all kinds of fun things from janitorial staffing companies in South Carolina that need specific types of workforce management to you name it. And so that's kind of what I do on a day-to-day basis. And about 50,000 companies a month use our research to figure out which HR solutions they should be buying. Well, let's kind of dive into the the main topic here and just uh, how would you define what the challenges are in reviewing software, uh, you know, by, by companies? So I, I think there's a lot first, <laughs> yeah. I think most, <laughs> most companies don't even know like where they should be focusing. If, if you think about HR, they've got this full employee life cycle from the first time somebody hears about your company all the way through the hiring process, onboarding, working at the company, becoming an alumni, et cetera. And there are hundreds of discrete kind of steps in that journey. Uh, guy I talked to you a few weeks ago actually mapped it out for his business. And just in the recruiting process, there were 270 discrete steps. And so there are tools that can help you with basically each of those. Wow. And, and there are probably 100 or 200 vendors for each uh, tool category. And so it, it's a little bit overwhelming. 
and so I think that the, the first thing that companies really need to do is figure out where do we want to focus our time and resources because we can only really do like one or two changes in a quarter or in, in a given kind of planning period. And so I, I always recommend, you know, think about things in a business perspective, what's going to make the most impact. That's a really good place to, to start. Another good place to start is honestly just trusting your gut. Because like you've been taking in data all day long from your colleagues, from what's happening in the business, et cetera. And, and chances are that like, you know, at a subconscious level, what you should be doing and once you kind of write that down, you should just on a conscious level, rationalize it through a business case with an ROI that your CFO is going to appreciate. And, and then really think about things in an agile way. Like how do we do an MVP here? What are the sort of key hypotheses we're trying to test to see if this is going to be successful? And how do we then scale what's working, change what's not, and continuously collect the data that we need to make the right decisions and evolve our process? So what is that? Uh, I know you briefly briefly touched on it, but how, do, how does a company get started in an agile software review process given... I mean, it sounds like in a, in a lot of cases, there's not a lot of process to even software reviews, and at least in some places. But you know, how do they change any existing processes to 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 move to an agile approach? So, what's really awesome is that most enterprise software companies have moved to a product-led growth strategy in the past couple of years, and there were a couple of companies I think were pioneers here, like Dropbox where you had individual employees who were downloading Dropbox and sharing files internally. And all of a sudden Dropbox, which was this consumer thing was like, oh wow, we can sell like enterprise licenses. And it's really effective to sell to a company that already uses your product. And other companies saw that and said, hey, let's do more free trials. Let's do more premium sort of offerings. And that allows the adopters of that technology to, in a lightweight way, experiment and understand if something's the right solution for you or not with the right KPIs in place, with the right process in place. I personally think that, so that's, that's a really awesome trend that people can take advantage of. I think from like an internal perspective, you want to have somebody who is a champion, who's passionate about a project, who has the resources, the know-how to sort of spearhead something. And they're basically the CEO of that project. And then you want to kind of have like a board of advisors for that project as well, which is probably like that person's boss and maybe one or two other key stakeholders who are just sort of there to help and to get feedback and to give feedback. And that structure seems to work really well. It obviously, you know, there's a reason that so many corporations use that structure is because, you know, capitalism sort of like weeds out companies that try different things and, and kills them and the best ones survive and, and they all kind of follow the same operating structure. And, and I find that even as, as a small team, that's a great way because you get somebody with skin in the game who cares, and then you've got oversight as well. And so that would be sort of at a baseline, how I would structure your team to go out and, and do this. Yeah. How do you, how would you recommend the people position the benefits of this approach over the um, the, the more traditional way of doing things. Yeah. I mean, the more traditional way of doing things is like, let's do an RFP process. Uh, let's talk to 10 vendors and evaluate them in this like very stodgy 
way that takes a long time. Let's select a vendor, sign a multi-year contract that we're locked into, and then implement software and hope that it goes well. And that just has a ton of risk because you're locked in, you're deploying a lot of capital, you're spending also a lot of time upfront to vet these vendors in a way that isn't as real as actually utilizing the product. And as we all know, sometimes we have these ideas and then yeah. when we actually start to execute on the ideas, it's like, oh wait, this, this strategy actually doesn't make as much sense as I previously thought, or, oh, there's this detail that's really, really important that I hadn't thought of until I started actually doing something. And, and that can lead you to select the wrong vendor. And by the time you realize that this is the wrong vendor, you're in a three-year contract with SAP that costs a ton of money that you're never going to get out of. And it's going to take you six months to implement the software in the first place. So I think that the, the agile approach, if your company can do it, is a hundred times better, it's de-risk and it'll almost certainly lead to better outcomes. It sounds like there's two components to it. I mean, one is being more agile and, and able to adapt if the exact software that you're evaluating, let's say you're you're evaluating between two or three different platforms or, or something like that, you know, there's there's that component of, of just maintaining agility there so you don't lock yourself into something um, before you get too far down a path. But it also seems like even before that, maybe during, but even before that, the, the requirements phase, I mean, you know, in my, in my experience, a lot of people go into things with some, some pretty strong assumptions that may or may not end up being right. And it seems like the sales, the, the traditional enterprise software sales process is, you know, once you get so far down a path, you don't, you don't back up and say, Hey, wait, what's the problem we're actually trying to solve? Is this, you know, are we even buying the right type of software or do we get the raw, do we get the acronyms wrong or, or something like that? How, how would you say, um, you know, how can companies start in, in that requirements gathering phase and do a better job of, of not getting into that kind of trap? I think you need to think about not just the a form RFP that you've used previously or you find on the internet, but actually like what you care about for the solution from a first principles perspective and why this is important to you. And, and part of that is going to the business case and actually probably putting a spreadsheet up and saying, Hey, like we want to implement this to change XYZ process and hopefully get ABC outcome. And therefore these are the things that matter to us. These are the things that are icing on the cake that we read about or that we hope is available in the marketplace and then doing a great job of being objective when you're going out and evaluating vendors. I think many times people are afraid. They don't want to get fired. Right. <laughs> they don't want to find the wrong solution. And so they create this like, you know, 200 list uh, feature requirement and those can optimize for the wrong vendors. There are vendors that are really, really good at filling those things out. And they tend to be the, you know, the big kind of more stodgy enterprise software guys that really optimize around what the CIO, CFO care about versus the end user. And so you sometimes get suboptimal engagement uptake and ROI from the actual solution. And so I would try as hard as you can to think from a first principles perspective about how you want to do this versus 
just using the tools that somebody else has used previously, because that's going to end up optimizing for the stuff that actually matters for the end users and thus the business value. Yeah. And you're, I think you're kind of touching on a, on an interesting point of, I've thought about recently as well is when the, when the process of building requirements and understanding what you actually need, um, changes and is more, um, uh, you know, more specific to the organization. Do you think that democratizes the, the, the playing field? So in other words, you know, the, the old saying, like nobody ever got fired for hiring IBM or, or whatever. Yeah. Um, do you think that that gives kind of the, the smaller one, you know, the smaller upstart, um, platforms, do you think it gives them a better fighting chance when it's, when, when the, reti- when the requirements are closer to, you know, actual, needs and and value and things like that right now companies can select these sort of growth stage vendors who have gotten to maybe four five six million dollars of revenue and therefore are de-risked from a gonna go bankrupt perspective but also you get the benefits of working with a startup they've got new tech it's built for the sort of modern age you can influence the product if you're loud enough for with the customer success product teams even your sales and account management teams and So you're getting this great product, but you're still kind of getting a lot of the, I'm not going to get fired things that you would with going through a legacy vendor. Yeah. Yeah. I know. I think that, that I'm not going to get fired thing is, is certainly a, it's a, it's a component. And I mean, whether you're an individual, you know, whether you're an employee, you know, somewhat further down the, the org chart or even a leader, you know, making a multi-million dollar investment in something, I mean, it's, um, you know, it sticks with you. Um, do you have any other advice for, for someone that wants to do the, what they believe is the right thing by bringing in perhaps even a non-traditional choice, um, to, a software, even a consideration set, but does have those concerns. I think that as long as you're doing your research and your process is really solid, it's going to de-risk a negative outcome. So if you go to the powers of the, you know, your CFO, CEO, whatever, and you say, Hey, you know, here's the problem. Here's the solution. Here's the research I've done. Here's why I think this vendor is interesting. And you lay it out in a super thoughtful way that has the business case that compares things in a rational manner. If you somehow like this company goes bankrupt or like the unforeseen happens, that 1% chance hits, you get really unlucky you're going to be super de-risked from your career perspective because you've done all the right things for, for the process. And when things go well, you're going to look like a rock star because it's like, Hey, I, I have a really good process for this stuff. You're going to evangelize it internally. It's going to give you the internal juice to go off and do your next project with a lot less internal friction and get good results again, which leads to a nice virtuous cycle of just sort of doing these projects, getting the bigger and bigger, bigger results, more evangelization, et cetera. Well, um, one last question before we wrap up. So um, you've been involved in the, the HR tech space um, in uh, several different ways throughout your career, you know, investor, entrepreneur, part of, uh, part of teams and, and everything. I would imagine you've seen a lot of trends and, and things like that. And, you know, in that time, what, what are you seeing right now that is, should be top of mind to people that are considering, you know, any really anything in that the HR tech space. There's a lot of really interesting trends. So there's a lot of 
sort of employee experience technology that is becoming more important in our remote work world where companies are confronting more distributed teams that are more stressed out, a lot of mental health issues. So there's employee recognition programs that are really doing well, employee mental health programs that, you know, there's like four unicorns in that space alone in the last 12 months, which is kind of crazy. There's the proliferation of artificial intelligence to help screen candidates, to reach out to candidates, to onboard people, to really do a lot of different things that traditionally you have to have a body deployed to do. And so now you can free that person up whose job it was to schedule people and you can say, hey, we need you to do more strategic sourcing of engineering talent or whatever the case may be. So, you know, the HR tech space is interesting. There's a lot of legacy technology, but it's changing really quickly. And companies that are adopting are reaping the benefits. Phil, thanks so much for joining the show. Um, for those listening, okay. what's the best way for them to keep up with what you're doing? Sure. So if you're interested in HR tech, Select Software Reviews is our website where we do all this research. We have a community. You can connect with me on LinkedIn, Phil Strazula, with two Z's and two L's. Pretty easy to find. And uh, I also have a blog if you're interested in um, learning mostly about investing. I've been investing since I was 12, and I, I write a lot about all the different things that I do. Well, uh, again, I'd like to thank Phil Strazula, uh, founder of Select Software Reviews, for joining the show. Thanks again for listening to The Agile World with Greg Kilstrom. See you next week. Thanks again for listening to The Agile World Podcast, brought to you by Tech Systems. I'm your host, Greg Kilstrom. If you enjoyed the show, please take a minute to subscribe on your podcast channel of choice and leave us a rating so that others can find the show more easily. You can learn more and get a copy of my latest book, The Agile Workforce, from my website at theagile.world.